The following program may contain content not suitable for all audiences. Welcome to Metagamers Anonymous, a program dedicated to tabletop role-playing games and mostly related material and a presentation of Prismatic Tsunami. My name is Eric. I'm Jason. I'm Rich. I'm Vanessa. And I'm the kid. <laughs> <laughs> this is episode number 257, I believe. Um, wow. We're going to talk about session one. Yeah, 257, just a stupid number of episodes in a catalog at this point over some nine years of podcasting. Why are we still here? So confused. Um, it's for the Patreon. You really want an answer to that question? <laughs> Why, do you have a real one? Uh-huh. What's that? You keep saying, let's do a podcast. God damn you. <laughs> you you got to do better. <laughs> Nine years of this. And uh, that is, I think, momentous. I actually got a press pass to Gen Con for this year. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. They weren't giving out a ton of those this year. No. They said they were limiting them. They were going to limit the number of podcasts, and they asked for my information. So there's a pedigree in there somewhere that says, um, I've got enough of a backlog, enough episodes out there uh, that they take me seriously. They don't know nobody listens. They don't know that I do this for myself and my friends, but they know we've been doing it for a while. So <laughs> that's great. I was going to well, say, nobody listens might be an them. exaggeration. Oh, wait, they don't they listen. Don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody listens might be exaggeration, for, but definitely doing it for our friends. That's all we are you, definitely doing it for our friends. For all of you who do listen, know that I am doing this for you. You are our and friends. me, but mostly you. And I'll be at Gen Con this year. It's going to be in September this year, and uh, I'm going to do what I can to get some good content. We'll uh, we'll talk to Luke. some people. They're they're not having the big show as big a show as they usually do, of course, because you know the the post COVID world, post ish COVID. I mean, we're still kind of COVIDy. Um, the quasi-COVID world. I, I, I'm kind of curious to see what the turnout's going to be. I, I, they're capping it. I think they're capping it at like about half of what they had at the last live Gen Con two years ago, which was still a fuck ton of people. I mean, it's not really saying much, but it's a big event with a lot of shit going on. The interesting thing is a lot of the big participants, companies that always come out and uh, you know premiere their products and you know buy the big booths and stuff and, and, and dominate the dealer hall, aren't going to be there this year. A lot of them are not. Which, interestingly enough, since the dealer halls, I don't know, I haven't been there, so yeah, I've never been to Gen Con. <laughs> I've been gaming. I've been I've been gaming. <laughs> How old am I? Uh, I've been gaming for 38 years and been looking Never at pamphlets Gen for Gen Con. Gen Con ever since that time. I would love to go to Gen Con. That's a lot of money. Uh, it is a tad. It is a tad bit. Um, yeah. Plus I, hotel. I, I, have, uh, I have achieved some, s- some support from some of our friends and listeners, and we're making it happen this year because it just is a rare opportunity. And I'm excited about it because as a smaller event, a lot of uh, publishers and and game designers and uh, companies that don't usually make it because there's only X number of booths and they run out. Oh, yeah. You know, there's there's, you know, priority there for people that, you know, the bigger, bigger hitters, the heavy hitters who have been there year after year and spend a bunch of money. And uh, those you know, this, these people often can't get a booth, or if they can, it's it's the you know back one in the corner that. Well, I mean, it's not like nobody goes. It's Gen Con. People visit every booth. I'm sure. Oh yeah. I, I just feel like this is a cool opportunity to meet a lot of people we otherwise wouldn't get a chance to really learn much about. And uh, I know Monty Cook Games is going to be there, and I sent in applications to run games for them. They were looking for people to help with booth demos and, and games, like run some Numenera stuff. So I'm I'm hoping they they get back to me on that. I think that'd be exciting. Cool. Oh, Numenera! Yeah, I want to play in that game system Numenera. again. 
and I, I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a ton of Savage World stuff there. I got I got friends who are going to be there uh, who I don't ever usually get to see because they don't live in town, and a bunch of them are Savage Worlds, uh, the whole Savage Worlds group of people. So I'm excited about that. And other people, other you know, I don't usually get to do this, so there's other people who live closer or the other side of the Indianapolis area who are planning to meet me there. Um, Ryan's talking about it. Just to put some pressure on you, Ryan, make sure you you get signed up and everything. But uh, Ryan Knock. Looking to come in from Atlanta just to hang out with me. Woohoo! Uh, cool. My old friend Dan, who used to run Carpe GM podcast out of St. Louis, he's only like four or five hours down the road, so it's nothing for him. And he told me, I said, I, I texted him and said, "Hey, I think I'm going to make it to Gen Con this year." We haven't, we've never hung out, we never met in person, but we used to talk a lot online, and uh, it was really, uh, it was really cool. I, I, I told him what was going on, and he said, "You know what? One of my favorite going to people, gonna be one of my favorite places in the world. I'm there now." I don't know if he's talking a big game, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it anyway. And just so many other people in the industry that I've I've never gotten to uh, spend much time with, if any at all, who may be there. We'll see. <laughs> so, you know, it, it may not be everything um, I'd love to get out of Gen Con, but if I get this experience down and figure out what it's like and can find a way to afford it in the future, then at least I'll have an idea what I'm in for. And I think that's, there you go. that's pretty cool. Just uh, at this point, waiting to see whether or not I'll be wearing a mask all weekend. You know what I'm saying? Nothing the wrong answer with that. is maybe. Yep. yep, the answer is definitely maybe. And I'm cool. I'm cool. I, it'll, it'll be fun no matter what. So that's happening. Uh, as far as TsunamiCon, I'm going to be honest. I mentioned this to everybody here uh, in the room before we got started today. I don't know if I can pull off a live event this year. Uh, the The odds are weighing heavily against us. We are a small convention we don't have slush capital, you know, this, uh, we have to fundraise every year to afford our event. This, we usually start planning this shit in January. And this year in about March, we were looking around going, we still have no idea if we can actually do it. And if, if, if we'll be able to, if the COVID, you know, situation is going to allow us, there was not enough information to work with. And we were doing online events already. So my business partners and I sat down and said, let's do online events in 2021. Things have started to change since then. I, like I said, I'm going to Gen Con in September. I'm looking at going to uh, Midwest Game Fest again in November. I'm looking at going to conventions run by some of my contemporaries. And so it feels a little weird skipping out and running my own. But again, these other cons have a little more established groundwork. And in some cases, they don't have a choice. Like they already have contracts with venues that where they got out of them last year ain't going to be the case this time. You know, they're if they are allowed to have those gatherings, those uh, venues are not going to you know refund their, their deposits. And, you know, they may not let them out of contract obligations. There's a lot to consider there that I'm I'm strangely fortunate I don't have to deal with because of the uh, the the what happened to us a couple years ago where our venue kind of went away on us. You know, it changed a lot because we didn't have a long term contract at that point. So there you go. Pros and cons, right? <coughs> Pros and cons. But I will let everybody know for sure. Um, I'm still working some angles, uh, so I, I, I can't say absolutely one way or the other. We will do a virtual event either way. We will have some virtual gaming either way, but if it, it may turn out to be an on, online-only event, as I'm sure everybody was anticipating might be the case. Um, and there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on in our personal lives. This is, is a kind of a rough year in general. You know, it's there's there's a lot of other distractions to deal with on the way as well, and I don't, I don't blame anybody for that. I don't blame anything for that. I just got to be realistic about it. And, um, you know, the handful of people that listen to this show are basically friends, even if I don't know you at this point. I just, I feel like it's it's worth it to be upfront with you as much as I can. So, there you go. 
still had fun with the virtual con so far. And yeah, and the online convention's a bit of blast. You know, and I've enjoyed gaming. I don't get to do that when I'm running a real con because I spend the whole weekend putting out fires. Oh yeah, you played in one of my games I, at the last. Yeah, time. I got to play in some games. Are you kidding? <laughs> I had a great time. I played in your game. I played in Jaber's uh, Savage Worlds game. I just I had, a, I had a lot of fun that weekend. So uh, of course, you know, the fall convention's still a little more intense than that uh, spring thing we did. But we are very seriously looking at 2022, right? Yes. Yeah. I'm working now on coming up with a plan that will secure us a venue for then and beyond. Um, uh, and we'll see what's going on. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> We're there, aren't we? You know, don't don't put any undue pressure. You know, we love every, you. everybody's situation is their situation. So. Of course. Um, I was uh, not particularly active this past couple weeks when it came to the gaming. I mean, we didn't do a ton. We had some cancellations. We had... Um, the kid just uh, moved back up here to Wichita. It was Yay. mostly my fault yeah. too. Uh, no, back, kid. no, you had nothing to do with that. Well, no, no, um, kid <laughs> moving. Uh, kid moved back to Wichita. The cancellations were partly my fault this last week because I had that surgery, surgery. and I have been feeling rough. Yeah, yeah, and that's fair. On the other hand, my gallbladder is not trying to kill me anymore. Well, it might yeah. be, but it's nowhere near me. So right, it's, it, if it is at this point, it's a it's a bad B movie. Um, I, I really feel like <laughs> I see everybody's I face. I do love my bad B movies. We recorded our Iron Sky episode of Exposition Street before this, so if you have any idea what I'm talking about, that comment got a lot of mileage in this room. It might be better. Um, <gasps> I would I, I I would totally watch a movie about a killer gall, gallbladder before I would watch Iron Sky again. Anyway, I really <laughs> feel like. Okay, so our, our Tuesday night game is an online game, this group. Um, most, most Everybody actually didn't hear, except for Jason, is in that game. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that one got canceled this week. But the week before we gamed, and I, I felt like, um, I feel like it's moving kind of slow, but it's still moving. It's, it's still got progress, and we're, we're slowly integrating more role-playing into it, which is kind of nice. It was, yeah, I think it, it was an actual consequence of having to bring in new characters. Yes. And change up the situation because you guys lost some people and had to write in new characters. I know we've talked about that. Yeah, I had a very role play character. Whereas uh, the uh, game we play on Sundays, which is the day we're recording, the game we're playing today, is uh, very much in its infancy at this point. And, uh, I mean, it's it's been kind of halting progress, but we've been moving on it not a lot's happened to talk about so usually we try to bring fodder to the show from our recent gaming experiences and stuff i mean i try, I try to look for things to to discuss <laughs> my my monday night game that has joe and alicia and jonica and nira in it none of you guys um has been exciting the last two weeks but that's because they fought a dragon uh twice well they they fought the dragon one week and they're like level five or something and it's like an adult white dragon so it's like it's like, like cr12 right that's cold. Right at the, right at the <laughs> screw you. There's right at that upper edge, and uh, they uh, they 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 fought it back and drove it away because it got down. It started like 200 hit points. It got down to like 30 hit points. Took off, um, and it went to high battery slayer. And they thought, oh cool, now we can pass because they were trying to get to this other place. They get to this other place beyond this bridge that they fought it on, and once they're there, they realize that the dragon has something they need, and so they have to track it back to its lair and fight it again. But they're so beaten up from the battle that they take a short rest. This is Dungeons & Dragons, 5th edition D&D. You take like an hour, you have a chance to spend some hit dice, get your hit points back, some of them, all of them, depending on how well you roll, and uh, 
jump back into the fray. Get some of your skills back, you know. So do the monsters. The monsters have hit dice too. So the dragon went back to its lair, rolled a tit dice, gained back most of its hit points. Oh no. And so it was like, take two. The only difference was this time they got to pick, they got, they kind of, I mean, they were in the dragon's territory, but they kind of got to pick their approach. It wasn't expecting them. Its lair was actually a pain in the ass to get to. It wasn't expecting them to come into its lair looking for it. So it was snoozing. It was recouping, you know. And uh, so I gave them their, their, their checks and everything to see if they could sneak up on it. They did a pretty good job of that and started the fight. Now, it's still represented. It was a, it was a freaking dragon. And uh, I know how to play dragons. Kid and I have had, have had a lot of conversations over the years about the right way to, to handle the dragon as a game master. And oh, yes, we have. It's, it's, it's only made us both better at it, I think. But, <laughs> you know, even, even the uh, lowly whites are extremely resourceful and fairly clever. So Cunning. Cunning. Good Where word. they aren't necessarily strategic-minded, they are uh, still capable of presenting quite the threat. The most exciting part was that they... Uh, took out the dragon. Yay! So on the second try, they, they took it down completely. And then in the process, they happened to be in the lair, which actually made the dragon tougher because they had lair actions and stuff. But they were in the lair, so they got the treasure. You know, they have the treasure hoard to work with, uh, which is super exciting for them and super exciting for the characters because, like, you know, they, they, they took out a dragon. <laughs> the, so, but Ken wasn't in that group, so nobody walked out with a backpack full of squishy dragon parts, right? I'm neither going to confirm nor deny. Oh, Ken's not in the group, but they still walked out with a backpack full of squishy dragon well, they parts. Might, they might. Yeah, I don't. There is Joe say. in that group. Oh God, uh, I love you, Joe. I was just say <laughs> Ken's not with them, so they're not walking out with any armor and weapons that was on the bad guys necessarily. No, uh, yeah, it's, like, it's like we're dragging around 800 spears. I'm like, where? Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, we can sell them for like, you know, pennies. Dragon liver can cure a cold. Dragon fat is for burns. What? A dragon what? tear can clear up your skin. Pete's dragon. I'm, yeah, oh, we gosh. definitely don't own the rights to that. <laughs> Every little piece. I Every forgot about crease. that. I recently rewatched that six months ago. Pete's Dragon. <laughs> it's on Disney Plus. The original? Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love that movie so much. There's and I rewatched snake oil it salesman and I when he finds out there's a dragon That's says funny. this is this is our ticket to legitimacy. Yeah. You know, I'm, he I'm gets super excited. I'm pretty about sure it. I haven't seen that movie since I was pretty young. It's I do, still awesome. One fu- one interesting <laughs> bit of trivia, I do know that it is the very first movie I saw in the theater. My dad took me to see it in the theater in Germany when it came out. My first one was uh, The Lion King. Yeah, you're a little younger than I am. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Or didn't go to the theater until you were a certain age, I guess, but yeah, whatever. I was like, oh, three. <laughs> Peace Dragon was a ways back. I guess that's a big thing. That's a thing. I, a thing. I mean, it's Dungeons and Dragons after all. Dragons are a thing. It's exciting, I guess. That was all. Yeah. Do people drag backpacks full of dungeon parts out? Uh, Ken. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you can, but yeah, you do. Not, not a lot to pull from as far as this last uh, couple weeks of gaming, though. That's that's kind of where we're at. I ran uh, a one shot of Call of Cthulhu for my Saturday group. Oh, uh, how'd it go? No one died. Well, well, no, no so ran it wrong. I, actually, I lied. One person died and two went completely insane. Oh, oh that's better. I yeah. thought you ruined the game. <laughs> you really confused us for a second. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Was it a pulp era kind of? 
Yeah, yeah 1920s. Yeah, nice. It was the Call of Cthulhu starter set box thing. Ooh. It actually came with a, a one-person, like, self-run, choose-your-own-adventure kind of thing so the GM can familiarize yourself with the game. I died, too. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he did it right. <laughs> That's fantastic. You know the original D and D red box. Remember had that had yes. that in it. it had like a little self solo adventure. Yeah, you know I remember. You went into the front that it narratively took you through the stuff. And, I died. And sure enough, you I die. I wish there were like self run things for everything, like more of it, because that was super fun to play through. I really enjoyed it. Not a lot of strong role playing in those um, scenarios. No, but I no, like but choose your own adventure you system. <laughs> Unless you're a kid, then there's a lot of... It gives you an idea <laughs> yeah, of the so, scenario, the yes. world, and the, and, the, and the game system. Mm-hmm. It worked really well as far as a starter set thing to do. Cool. Cool. I'm, I'm down. That's awesome. Um, COC, not my favorite system. Mm. It's definitely different. It's this was 7th edition called Cthulhu. So. It's the newer stuff. Yeah. yeah. So it, it might be better than I, the previous ones. I haven't ones. looked at it. Yeah, I haven't looked at it. I mean, typically, historically, the game hasn't changed much. Literally, everything is per- percentage-based. Yeah, I don't like percentile systems very much. Fair That's enough. Real, I, my experience with them has not taught me that I feel like you have much control over the fun parts of the narrative process that interact with the rules. I think that sounded like a lot of mumbo-jumbo, but it made sense to me. <laughs> there you go. I'm just, uh, but no, yeah, not my thing. But, I mean, I, I understand there's people that like it. And, the, you know, uh, Call of Cthulhu's basic structure, the basic role-playing system, BRP, has been popular for years. People run a lot of different games with it. Some of our people run a lot of different games with it. Uh, Eli, <clears throat> <laughs> you, know, you know who you are. Uh, so let's talk about Session 1. I feel like there's a lot of discussion out there on the Internet about Session 0. A lot. This was not a thing at one time. About 10 years ago, Session Zero kind of popped out of the ether. People were all like, you know, and, and, and there were variations on the theme prior to that. If you go back to like the rules for, say, Vampire the Masquerade, what did they call that? They had the prelude. They mm-hmm. called it the prelude, where everybody had their own session beforehand to kind of set up some background for the character because, of course, you were a vampire, so you had to know how you became a vampire. Uh, but it wasn't relevant necessarily to the campaign. So a prelude was how you set up your character's back- background. And we've seen plenty of games now that have ways of creating backstory elements for your characters, like we did with Fate, for example, recently, where you it's almost part of the gameplay, creating all that that fun backstory and relationships between characters and things like that. But traditionally speaking, session zero is the point at which you sit down with your group, write up characters if you haven't, discuss characters and any relationships you want between them or any plans you want for the campaign. All that fun pre-play stuff. Communicate with each other, communicate with the GM if it's a, you know, if it's that kind of game. Uh, determine, like, I mean, even if there's things where you're like working to character, working the characters together for like relationships between them, sometimes you want to make sure that you have your niches covered and or... Your your base is covered in terms of what you're doing, so you're gonna you're gonna communicate about what everybody's playing or how they're playing to approach the characters, so that you can do something you feel balances that well. Things like that, whatever it is you and do, and how your characters are gonna work as a team. And it is possible sometimes session zero does end up with a start of game in it, just kind of depending on what you're doing. Most of my experience, that isn't the case. 
even when I want it to be. It often isn't the case. You get to that point and people are still working on basic character stuff by the time we've been at it for four or five hours. And eh, let's wait till next week to start. You know. But session one is a little bit of an enigma. It has always had its own challenges for game masters and for players, depending on how ready you are for what you're doing. You know, there are groups out there where session one pretty much universally consists of, so you all meet in a tavern. Right. And I hate it when games start that way. Is, is that really a thing to hate, though? I mean, it's it's kind of, it feels uncreative. Exactly, and that's why I don't like it. But that's just because it's so cliche. Exactly. But cliches work. I mean, that's why they're oh, cliche. No, they is work. it cliche or is it tradition? Right. I, What's the difference? I get it, but I mean, it doesn't, it's not compelling. Well, Let's try this for a second, then, because this is, of course, an ultimate um, problem, you know, quandary. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a term there, but, you know, the, the game masters have to figure out how to approach anyway. Mm-hmm. Conundrum. What do you do? I'm not wanting to start the characters in a tavern. What are uh, ten options that aren't starting them in a bar? Ten? You're asking so much. <laughs> if it's if it's so problematic because it's a cliche, there can't be just two other options. Oh, gosh, no. You know what I'm saying? But, like, for example, for my Saturday game, we all started because we were part of a, a training guild. And we were looking at to start the same mission. Mm-hmm. That's not starting in a tavern. And that does require you, in a lot of ways, to set up a predetermined construct for the characters' relationships. Yeah. You know, even if it's just that, oh, we all did, we did this with the Zeitgeist game. We're all members of the Royal Homeland Constabulary. You know, so here's a set of parameters that apply to your character, and this is one of the barriers of entry for this game. You have to build this into your character for it to work. Mm-hmm. You know, so this is one of the things I strive as the Game Master start out with. You may play these races, these classes, you play this construct, you know. All this variety inside that whatever. And it, and it works. Um, ironically, the War of the Burning Sky campaign started uh, with people working for the Resistance together, but they did start in a bar. <laughs> Actually, we started outside the bar, as I recall. Well, you were meeting at the bar, but it was after hours. It was a, it was a quiet, quiet Resistance meeting. We had to break into the bar. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. See, I had another game that started with like half the characters in prison and the other half had to break them out because they needed them needed their particular set of skills to perform whatever we were doing at the beginning of the game, which That's I don't remember. actually pretty cool. <laughs> in prison, this is an uncommon way to start, uh, in my experience. It has some, down, it has, it has some drawbacks. It was um, interesting, yeah. One of the major drawbacks a lot of people have is that you're starting the game, you write up the characters, you get to the point where you're starting the game, and then the GM goes, okay, all that gear that you bought, take that off your sheet. <laughs> Because, you know, they didn't let you keep that when they put you in the dungeon. Uh, the yeah. idea that you're talking about where some of the characters start on the outside, some of the characters start on the inside actually creates a different dynamic. I mm-hmm. find that interesting. I haven't seen that before. Hmm. But I've definitely seen the whole you start all capture because it's 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 an obvious kind of way to start people in a situation that gets them hopefully working together. But however you look at it, it puts them in the same place at the same time with the same issue. Exactly. You know, I do remember I classically once started a game with you all meet in the afterlife. Yep, I remember that conversation. Uh, that sounds yeah. interesting. So now we're up to three. Anyone else? <laughs> that was kind of fun. Uh, I mean, you all meet in the middle of a highway robbery, and some of you are the robbers. That was kind of fun. <laughs> oh, that does of, sound fun. Because you could a have cool s- variation on the prison thing, isn't it? Because uh-huh. <laughs> you could have some people as the robbers and some people being robbed. Mm-hmm. Which uh, I like it. It does have a downside. It has to. You have to buy in. Mm-hmm. You have to have mm-hmm. total buy in, and that is going to be kind of an issue with some of these. You know? That's gonna that that's gonna cause trust issues in the early. It could definitely. 
Well, things. and I mean, and it could for characters, even if it doesn't for players. It, it's a well, question it, it of should for characters. It's a it question of how good your hook is, too. That's true. Because yeah. you know, I was going to say, yeah, mysterious messages all to meet it is at, at a place, and you're all at about the same place at the same time for that. The enigmatic you got a letter, purpose, and you got a letter, and you got which a letter, is and you got a letter. which is one step off of. And now I want to. You all this. wake up and don't remember <laughs> how you got here, right? And I actually would keep that in the same category, I think, as the mysterious letter consequence. Yeah. Uh, the don't remember how you got here thing or the amnesia thing. You don't remember who you don't are. Don't remember anything. Yeah, that one's lots of fun. You know, you did that to us. Once, I did I do that to you, and I got raked over the coals for that. John, oh, I, I hated that game. I, I would it. love it. That sounds I'll, awesome. I'll take that over I think play I, yourself. I think any I scared day. the shit out of your wife though. That was the one where they where they were like dealing with the ghost in the swamp, and then the ghost got close, and the ghost was gone, and she was like, "Did it walk into me? Is oh, it inside of me? Oh, what the fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, no, that's a, that was a interesting because I, I had them uncovering little bits of who they were over the course of the game. But I was doing a lot of it through like f- what they thought was flashbacks. Then it was like, wait a minute, are these flash sides? <laughs> are these flash forwards? And then they uh, fell under the trap of being influenced by a thing that wanted them to do stuff for the wrong reasons. And they didn't question any of it. So then they kept doing things and turning out later that they had done the wrong thing. So whereas it was the, the campaign, I called it the Well of Souls because it was this thing that this creature of the Windling wanted them to open. However, Jonica refers to it by a different name. The Pawns of the Windling game. Mm-hmm. So uh, it really lost a lot of its majesty after about <laughs> eight or nine sessions. Sounds similar done. to, um, oh, what's that show? Dark Matter? Dark Matter was cool. When I watched that, I looked at Jonica and went, ha! And she went, Pawns of the Windling, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But some of these do require contrivance. I mean, one of the mm-hmm. things that they people all require like, contrivance. Well, one of the things people like about you meet in a bar is because the assumptions involved are that unless you are specifically playing a character that would never walk into a bar, that you are taking zero agency from the players and putting them on equitable ground. Now, I have played a lot of meet in the bar scenarios that are fun, but they're usually not as simple as that. You know, you meet in a bar, but you've been in the bar for five minutes and then the bar is on fire. Or, you know, you're, the entire bar is attacked. Or, <laughs> you know, whatever. Uh, one of my favorites was there's a murder upstairs and nobody's allowed to leave. Mm-hmm. You ne- know, next time I get a you all start in a bar scenario, I'm going to make my character a teetotaler who is in the bar trying to convince people to change their ways. <laughs> That's why nice. I'm there. Congratulations. You told me I had to be in the bar. You didn't tell me I had to be a drunkard. Right. The idea being that this is a standardized sort of social engagement that uh, and or necessary function that fits a lot of possible reasons and rationales that don't require you to work together to achieve them. So then you just kind of start there and do what you want to do. It's hard to come up with a lot of scenarios where that makes sense. I mean, you can. You could change the scale. Instead, if you're all in the same room, you're all in the same town when this thing happens. You know, But that requires a thing happening. It's an impetus by event. Yeah. You know, it creates momentum by consequence of some major event. And then the assumption there is that your PCs are either completely independently of everybody else or as part of a large group going to get involved in something as a consequence of the event. You know, whether they're trying to fight it off, whether they're trying to respond to it, whether they're trying to recover from it or help other people recover it or investigate it, whatever it is that the PCs are then in that unique position to do. So, was it my son said the other day, what if somebody, because I was explaining to him, I think I was explaining to him football, and I used the term sack the quarterback, and he asked what that meant, and I said, well, it's kind of another medieval term, like when they sacked York. <laughs> He's like, 
Oh, so what if somebody sacked Waterdeep? I was trying to remember if I was there for that game. I was like, there's an idea because you're talking about an extraordinarily ridiculous idea. Right. You know, he and, and Gabriel, my son, is already coming up with reasons that, you know, it's like, but if somebody tried to do that, they probably wouldn't know about the Xanathar and there's all that other stuff underneath the city and like blah, 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 and there's Undermountain. And I'm like, um, let's just stop at Sacking Waterdeep and work from there because that's fucking cool, man. It's, it's, <laughs> it's ridiculous because what could do that, <laughs> you know? Uh, so that kind of scale can be interesting. Kid once started a game with uh, the, the lightning strike scene around the world. What? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember that now. <laughs> Sounds shocking. Where it was, uh, we all witnessed the same event. It was a sign that had been uh, spoken of in ancient prophecy that the end times would be uh, sparked off by uh, a flash of light that would cover the entire sky. And it literally passed overhead and came all the way around the world and back around again. Huh. I've done too much meteorological stuff. You know, the sun going out, the meteors you, falling from it, the sky. It, it's it like, became a running joke that all of your games. Yeah. Like the sun I, was, going. I was like, have, have you done a scenario where the sun went out? I don't remember. I see how you're going to be. Have you done a scenario where the sun didn't go out? <laughs> I see how you're going to be. Yeah, there's been a few he's not completed. <laughs> I try. <laughs> I guess the the answer to that is yes, but wait. Right. Well, you know, and we got uh we got like four years into the Zeitgeist campaign and then suddenly the sun is gone and the gyre is in its place and you're like, Oh look, you did it again. Like, I didn't write this <laughs> What is it like uh the world we're in our Sunday game right now, my character's kind of the geeky character. On this oh, backwards it's a red world. sun that's going to go supernova. <laughs> it's it's the sun's about to go supernova. And my character's over here going, that's ridiculous. The sun is as bright and red as it's ever been. <laughs> it's going to last forever. Oh, that's good. Yeah, okay. So um, meteor- <laughs> meteorolo- meteorological events are another way to start a game. Everybody witnesses <laughs> the same massive portent. I can see that. Uh, as long as there's a mechanism for bringing them together in some fashion. I had a caravan group once. You know, I made an assumption going in. You guys are all caravan guards for whatever reason. Maybe you hired on. Maybe you're just tra- tagging along. Maybe you're just on the same road, whatever. You decide the reason. This is where you are when this thing happens and the caravan's attacked or whatever. I like caravans because the rails are there, but my character still gets to do charactery things on the on the rails. Rails are good. Rails yeah, are unless you have vampires on the train, in which I case, like just stop. <laughs> just stop. Even if, I love you, Keith Urban, but stop. <laughs> So so does Nicole Kidman. Um, he's a hell of a singer. <laughs> it, it, not not the same type of love. Demon Slayer, Mogan Train, Carl Urban. Carl Urban. <laughs> I, you know, I stink at names. I still need to see the Demon Slayer movie. Uh, so would uh, it was would so good. The party all meets in the same slave market. Kind of fall into that same territory. Um, and does it depend on whether or not which end of the block they're on? I I would imagine so. Yeah. And you could have them on both sides. You know, Vanessa's side. Yeah. What you could have do, three sides. You could have slaves, slavers, and abolitionists. What you do is and, you and buyers, have customers. Everybody yeah. at the four same sides. festival <laughs> happen to be near the same booth at the same time when it turns into a glowing light and takes you into the future where there's no sun. Go figure. <laughs> you sound oh, the chrono like trigger start. You've tried this before. I'm 
not sure where this idea yeah, came from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, okay. it's new. I'm going to have to ask my friend, what was his name? Is is Garen or Gareth or Gallup or the, the Galen no, or the no Galen? Galalalala. Go fuck yourself. The sun, <laughs> the sun is not the issue. Ding. It's metagamers. Screw it. Um, yeah, we, we can we fuck put around a, on metagamers. We put a warning at the beginning of the show. <laughs> we get to use language. Don't all go movie cast on me. <laughs> Mario coins my Ooh. ass. Now I want to that start a game painful. with Ooh. all the player characters start the game inside the same gelatinous cube. No. Oh. Um, <laughs> there's a game system that I've looked at on DriveThruRPG called Belly of the Beast where everyone starts inside something. Oh, that's shuddery. Yay. That's weird. It sounds amazing, and I want to play it, but I don't own it. I've just been, got it on my wish list like every other thing on the planet. You are definitely my kind of player. I'm trying to think if I've seen anything, if I've ever run anything that has that kind of feel to it. I mean, it's not uncommon to have scenarios in session one where the PCs are all trapped in something together. Mm-hmm. You so know. I, I do have to say my most memorable character introduction in section one was you're naked on a wet floor. What? <laughs> I, I think That's I started it. Good, I started yeah. Apparently my character had been in the shower when the base went dark and we'd all passed out. Oh, that oh, was snap. a good my, my, my character woke up naked in a classroom. Uh, That's a worse. A little bit harder to explain. Wasn't he in the, f- the boiler dreams? room or something, actually? Yeah, he was in the, well, oh, yeah, he was in the boiler room of an elementary school. But that was one of those starts where you all are transported to a different place and don't know why, don't know what happened, and don't know how to fix it. So you kind of end up gathering together because you find each other. So, it's a scenario near around. How many of these then actually uh, are in media res? Um, that is a different kind of challenge. And there are some people that will want to sound particularly clever who say, you know how I like to start my games? Roll initiative, bitch. Um, which sounds great on paper, but does little to break the ice. Uh, that's a crunchy start, but not really role play gamey I'm looking for. Well, it doesn't contextualize much because the one thing about starting a game is you don't know your characters yet. You haven't really had a chance. You certainly haven't bounced off of anything yet. So it's not that you can't start in Madeira. You just don't really have a lot of, uh, a lot to work with. That's that's what I was talking about. Your, your wife, uh, Chanika has this, every time she builds a character, she, she kills herself, killed creating the perfect character and she still doesn't really know what personality it has until she opens her mouth the first time she goes to talk to another character. And then she adds in personality like it's uh, yeah, garlic. <laughs> Seasoning. Is that what you're looking for? <laughs> Parsley. Something. Yeah, something we you do, put way too we much do in. We do add an inordinate amount of garlic to everything. <laughs> it is kind a of our thing. A lot of garlic. <laughs> that is a I am scared of vampires level of garlic. Yeah, Jonica's kind of scary once she opens her mouth and starts role-playing. Oh, uh, but she, her, some of her characters are just the best, but she doesn't build that personality. She creates it in session one. Yeah, which is funny because she's one of those players who doesn't like improvising. She doesn't feel like she's got the... the the Practice chops. or chops. Chops, yeah, thank you. That's a good word. Yeah, she doesn't feel like she's got that. But uh, when it comes to character, when it comes to characterization, it's how she insists on kind of doing it. I mean, obviously, she's got something in her head going in, but... It is what it is. People are different. I mean, I, I edit my character shortly after. I mean, I, I have to. After I, after I play it the first time, I'm like, okay, 
this didn't work, this worked, this didn't work, this didn't work. So we're going to turn this one up. We're going to turn this one down. Yeah, I like that. I mean, it, it kind of uh, you have a starting place. Yeah, and you can, and and that's I. I mean, that's ve- really valid. I mean, I I don't really criticize anybody for the idea of I have a very specific idea of who my character is and what they like going into it, and then wanting to make sure and have a fidelity to that. Right. But it is perfectly fine to start off a scenario, start off a game, and learn a little bit about your character as you go. And I, I think that gives you a lot more freedom. Well, and if your opening event is a big, dynamic, life-changing event, whatever personality you had 20 minutes ago may be slightly changed once it gets done. That's true. That's just a, we went through this, and, I mean, our characters are a party because Stockholm. Um, (laughs) Well, I I feel like there's uh, something to be said for scenarios that start, that, that force characters together in ways that the characters wouldn't choose. As opposed to games where characters start and are forced together by a common interest or drive. If you can depend on that, set it up in advance, say things like, you know, your characters are all part of this group or guild or club or resistance movement or anything like that. Or, or, or current band. Game. Or, yeah, or, or whatever or kind of organization. I have played a game where I was part of a band. Yeah, I did. That too. was interesting. We did two once. Jackie and Olivia. Yeah, we did. Whew. There's a lot of challenges in that, though, because since you don't know the characters going in, it can get unwieldy, you know, and you have to be able to adapt. And, you know, that's fine. But, I mean, as players, do you... I mean, do you do you think about that going in? Is it do you just respond? Is it I mean, are, is adaptability important to you, or do you kind of want to have a a handle on that up front? You know? When I create the base core, I do my flaws and whatever, and I create all those. Um, I have al- always found that when I go back and look at my character five levels later, and I haven't looked at my my drives or whatever. And since creation, I go, oh, that's why I've been doing this. I can't remember because I just built it into their personality. But if I make a personality shift from that, I need to have some sort of internal logic that at least works as far as the character's perspective goes. Well, and, and talking about drives, what about goals? A yeah, lot of a lot of players, a lot a lot of players build some sort of goal, some sort of persistent idea of what their character wants into the characterization from the outset. Right, and uh, this is one of those things I always try to figure out as a game master how much I should pander to, because when you start a game, and I've done it before, where I got started in a game, and in a matter of sessions, I started meeting goals. I started giving players the opportunity to pursue individual goals. And I ran into some problems because I had characters that resolved basically major issues too fast, you know, with a whole lot of campaign. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you know, I've done what I wanted to do. I've got I, no reason to be on the road anymore. I guess I need to come up with some other reason to go out there and do shit now. You know, and obviously somebody's going to be fine with that. And others are like, well, you know, I built all this backstory that I was hoping to get my teeth into. And I did get my teeth into it in session six. <laughs> Two years Aww. later, I'm like, you know, I didn't really, my backstory doesn't matter anymore. I was reunited with my love of my life. Next session, kidnapped I, by orcs. I had I had a session where somebody was looking for her long lost sister, and in a matter of like ten sessions, she found her, and the girl turned out to be a bad guy and died in the same session. It just was like, oh, well, that's done. Huh. <laughs> it's like Ooh. I I could have planned this a little better, right? You know? But now I have to avenge her, and she had to have turned bad for a reason, so I have to find that reason and destroy it. 
and again, that's that's improvising. That's creating new ideas based off of the prefer based off the the stuff in the game, which is fine. It is what you should probably could and should do in a lot of those situations. But oh, yeah. it, it doesn't come to everybody. You know, it isn't part of what you would have planned for this character, and you'd hope to get more mileage out of the search. You know, that was what you had as the person who's seeking a thing. And as a game master, how do you accommodate that when people come into a game and have six different motives that don't have anything to do with each other? Do you ignore that on the way in and just kind of figure out ways to pepper it in later? I mean, a lot of characters' drives will be the thing that got them to where they're starting, you know? So sometimes ignoring it's not necessarily the best idea, but... Your opportunity to your best, your biggest and best opportunity as a game master to establish that is in session one. This is because this is the place you get to start from zero. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to get there by any path. You can literally start wherever you want to. It can be, you guys uh, are in town for this reason. You guys are in town for that reason. You live here. You guys happen to be at the bar. It can also be you guys have dealt with an invasion of your country and been fighting for your freedom and have won many, been, been part of your people winning many battles and is getting very old and tiresome. But last year, one of your people managed to get a hold of some artifact that changed everything. And you've been part of the group now that's been studying it. And you have your final opportunity. I mean, you can create all this common backstory if you want to and get you to the point of starting and go from there. As a game master, you have that opportunity when you're building the scenario. Or as players, you might have that opportunity. I had a concept. Um, I ran a game. You could hear it on the actual play series. It's uh, the Obsidian Crown. That was not my idea. One of my players, Justin, came to me and said, hey, dude, what about a game, a campaign, where we play the officers of a king's army that have been on campaign for like 15 years and like a few years ago received the summons to go home? We've been recalled home. But by the time we get back to our kingdom, the king who we served has been usurped. The crown has been usurped. And so we're dealing with a new king. And we got to decide whether our oath is to the king or the crown. You know, things like that. Because we're the royal army. All this substance built into that. Not to mention all the assumption of that 15 years they were out of their country and haven't seen home in that time. So you get all this longing and these ideas of what home is. And it's changed obviously, in 15 years. And then the fact that they've lived lives out there. The, the, his character, the, the, who is the head of that army, ended up marrying a foreign, basically, princess because he was creating an alliance. And he has a great relationship with her as a son, a six-year-old son who's on with him on campaign now. You know, because they're, they're, they're heading back home. Mm-hmm. And so he has this entire kind of loyalty also to this tribe that he connected with and these people, and he learned things from them. And that's part of his part of his first-level write-up, basically. So there was, it was Savage World, so it wasn't really first-level. You know what I mean, though. It's his starting, his starting place. So there was all that potential for common background with all this backstory that got them there, and I didn't even come up with it. If you're a player and you've got a cool idea for a character... Go to your game master and talk about it. They, they may It may inspire them. They may come up with ways to twist it into something else, which can be even better. In fact, if you're wondering whether or not it's a great idea, talk to one of the other people who would probably play in the game, and then the both of you go to your game master about it with your own ideas. Of what it, because the more people invest in the idea, the less work the game master has to do to get the players invested, the easier their job is. That campaign was fantastic. One of the best games I've ever run. The entirety of it pretty much is documented on the online, uh, on, on the actual play series. And uh, most of that campaign was practically improvised. The player characters were so driven towards their goals 
that a lot of it, I just had to put the obstacles in the way and create, do, do all the world building around them, create all the situations that they dealt with and the challenges that they dealt with. Give them stuff to do in the world oh, that they're building. And they were so I good like at it. it. They were so good at it. Yeah, and, and they fed off of each other. Strong players will do that. And and sometimes all it takes is getting people engaged, getting at least a couple people engaged to the point where they just kind of drag everybody in. <laughs> so, it, and it depends on, you know, the investment, the people involved, what kind of gaming experience they want. But I, I, I like having players who are focused on those involved and engaged experiences where the characters have a lot to do with each other and, you know, are interested in chewing up that story. It doesn't have to be a huge epic story. It can be something small and simple that only goes a handful of sessions. But either way... So much to work with. So, yeah, session one, I think, is is under-talked about, I guess. A starting scenarios, the whole, you know, alternatives to meet in the bar thing is something that we've all seen discussed before. Mm. But I think it always bears a little bit of attention. But the, the bigger question, what can I do to create a starting scenario or to, to create a, a backdrop for this that can motivate my players or if i'm a player motivate my game master and fellow players can give us something to work on how do you uh, deal with the starting as a game master when you have to improvise your scenario based on how the pcs are built or how the pcs react or as a player as you get to know your character there's a lot of variables involved which is one of the reasons why starting a new campaign is both one of the most perplexing and complicated and fun moments in a campaign which is why i've never built a campaign it's perplexing and challenging, and I get overwhelmed. <laughs> I, I've run a lot of one-shots, though, but fair. a lot of that is rewritten, pre-written for me. That's fair. That's fair. And, and that, that makes a difference. Um, and I like uh, I like long, epic campaigns, but I also like shorter campaigns. I'm not as big on the one-shots. I do it occasionally. And, and, but I, and I think the, the, one, the games are almost more frustrating to me than anything, though, are the ones that just go a handful of sessions. Where it feels like it could have been so much more, but it also wasn't a one shot that just got out of your way because you only you build them like a campaign, so you expect it to be more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here's a question then, because mm-hmm. not liking to build the campaign, having built a number of campaigns, having played in a number of campaigns, when you go through the session zero, session one building, and you get the characters' drives and whatever like that. How much effort do you put into making some sort of visual representation of how the characters cross goals work together and and what each character is needing and how how they're going to interact with each other? I mean, do you draw some sort of relationship chart or do you just kind of have the goals all sitting there and just kind of hope to address them one at a time? Fantasy Island style until you get through the whole thing. <laughs> I could say I've done a little bit of both. Um, I have drawn the relationship charts before. I have said uncharted both my expectations of what people were doing and where they were going to go if I applied certain stimuli and then adjusted on as as I go, you know, make notes after every session to determine where things are likely to progress in there or if I want to make a different move. Uh, but a lot of that is leading the game along on a string. And sometimes you want goals that the PCs can engage at their own level so right. you don't know. But it is leading at that point, but those goals are being driven by yes. what the players brought to the table to begin with. I don't know if that would help Vanessa, if that would help you in creating that type of a experience. Well, if you were interested in, in trying to build um, something campaign style, it doesn't have to be a two year thing. I mean, it can be like six sessions. Or yeah. something, you know, it's and still a campaign, basically. I, I get that. It's just every time I start trying to, it turns into like me getting in my own head and it's overwhelming. 
Um, um, organizational yeah. tools can make a big difference too. You know, finding finding the right organizational tools for how you want to do it. I've uh, I've tried a lot of different things over the years with varying degrees of success. But I I feel like that's a really interesting question. I don't I don't know that there's a single answer. Uh, the the kind of charting things out is is neat, but it's hardly conclusive. And players can be fickle, and PCs can be fickle. <laughs> I'd say those are separate things because sometimes you can't anticipate what's going to happen. And you know, if a player has an off night, then they may behave in a way that's completely contrary to what you expect because they're not as consistent, uh, or they decide on a different direction for the character that you're not necessarily privy to. It can happen, but uh, I feel like doing what you can to anticipate it gives you some power to make great choices. Right. In designing the scenario, but a lot of it, if you if your players lead, if your players, you know, move, communication, yeah, and, and the best idea, what you kind of win at there without really spelling it out, is when the players work together yeah. to accomplish these goals, either in game, out of game, or both, you know, and go, what can we do to drive this, or what interesting direction could we go with this, or what are our options here. And make that part of the process. Is that maybe another level of the relationship grid is the goal grid. Like who else shares your goal? And if we all cross over goals, then anytime we're working on a goal, there's at least two or three characters who are also have vested interest, maybe not the same level, but a vested interest in the same goal. And some games, the goals are going to be secondary because there's like some overweening goal that is what drives people. Right. Like uh, when they, in the War of the Burning Sky, when they were part of the resistance movement, they all had kind of – I mean, it wasn't like a mission was spelled out for them, but they came into possession of a, we should go do this thing. And that led them to another thing. It led them to another thing. And they, they took the initiative and moved forward on that. But they also had their own individual drives right, that just all that. happened to be leading that direction. As the campaign went on, those characters branched out into different interpretations and extrapolations of that. So they expressed their characters' needs and drives individually when they seem to have a handle of them and when the game world seems to give them something to really grab onto and do it with. And that's a lot of it is getting a grasp on the world. You know, and they, when I talk about the Obsidian Crown, I talk about a game world that the players were really responsible for helping me build as we went. Kind of like we're doing on Sunday a little bit. I like that kind of, yeah. I like that kind of collaborative approach. Not all the time, but I like it because it comes with its own challenges and advantages. And uh, one of the cool ones is that the players can take a certain amount of agency in deciding how they want things to form up and move forward. Now, you guys are still doing a very mission-oriented game right now in our Sunday game, for example, which means that you're still kind of waiting on me to throw an angle at you. You know, here's a hook. You decide how you're going to pursue it. You decide what you're going to pursue about it or how it's going to affect you. But you guys are still waiting on the hook because you're part of an organized group that is providing those opportunities. The The game where uh, the players come into it and they have an over, over overarching goal that's not like a simple let's go do this thing and it's done, but like a here's my overarching goal that's going to be like the army that has arrived at the edge of the kingdom and they've got to make their way all the way across the kingdom and feel out what's happening geopolitically or sociopolitically and figure out what their best approach to everything is and how they, you know, what kind of challenges they're going to run into as they go. And then I start throwing challenges after they never anticipated. That's a whole different ball of wax because they have their own drives that can drive the entire campaign that direction. And I don't need to disrupt that. I want to feed that while at the same time providing grist for the mill. 
you know, ways for them to challenge themselves, ways for them to overcome new obstacles, ways for them to learn new information and process it so that they may change their direction. And that's, I mean, that's the fun of that at that point is you got the players making kind of the decisions. And that, that game like on Sunday, for example, that we're doing right now, I may put you guys in the position coming up where you will be in that position, where you are left with a little less instruction and a lot more questions, but the impetus to actually try and answer some of those questions without waiting for somebody to hand you an answer because the people that would be handing the answer could be part of the problem. Yeah. And that's powerful, or can be. You guys all may sit around and look at me like I'm stupid too. I, I, that's completely up to you. It's, it's a small group, and there's advantages and disadvantages there. Right. One of the advantages is you have so much screen time and everybody gets to really involve the character, but when you only got a few people at the table, if nobody has an ideas, you don't have more people to look at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, we'll just have to see how it goes. Anybody got anything to add? I got people falling asleep here. Just uh, been a long day. Kind of had enough. Well, I appreciate you guys. I'm not falling asleep. I'm just listening relaxing. intently because... Well, I, I appreciate you guys. I know it's uh, it's been, like I said, busy lately, and we've had a lot of shit going on, but I want to make sure and get a show out while I had you guys in the same room, locked the door. So, you know. Where's the key again? Uh, that's part of the escape room process. Yeah. You gotta, he you said know. we have to finish the podcast, keep talking. It's it's a puzzle. It's, it's, it's a puzzle that comes from my words. The words mean, no, it's uh, it's over there. Uh, it's, it's still in the goddamn door. <laughs> Now, who's the idiot? Me for leaving in the door or you for not noticing for the last two hours? We've been assuming it's trapped. That's fair. That's fair. I don't like mimics, though. (laughs) Um, If you have any stories you'd like to share, any experiences that uh, are pertinent to the situation or any experiences at all that you'd like to share, feel free to drop us a line. Feedback at prismaticsunami.com. That's feedback at prismaticsunami.com. Or feel free to... Feel free to drop in on our uh, Discord channel. It's been a little chirpy lately with the crickets, but uh, people do drop in and talk, and it's nice to have something to talk about and people to talk about it with. Uh, of course, we're always looking for um, help from the community if you are interested in tossing a little coin our way. Uh, we are on Patreon as well. Link is in the show notes. Thank you much for, very much for being here. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Oh, I pay money to you on Patreon. I kind of forgot about that. I believe you do, sir. You do. <laughs> I hope your bank account is uh, not forgotten. (laughs) (laughs) Money keeps coming out, apparently. Good call. Um, I hope that's good. Maybe I shouldn't have brought it up. In fact, forget I ever said a thing. Um, (laughs) 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 Thank you for joining us for episode number 257 of Metagamers Anonymous. My name is Eric. I'm Jason. I'm Rich. I'm Vanessa. And I'm the kid. Good night, everybody. Have a good one. Bye.